It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 9 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. It is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, February nineteenth, two thousand and nine, and you're listening to us live on Thursday night. We're glad you're part of the program. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, thank you. Great to be with you tonight for the Virtual Bible Study. It is good to be with you, and we're looking forward to our listeners' participation. You participate in one of two ways, by dialing 877-381-4567 or by emailing questions at collegeview.com. Both of those avenues are free to you. We'll pay the bill on the phone call tonight. It's toll-free, or send us an email. We're looking forward to your participation tonight. Tell us what the subject is. Well, Jay, before we get to that, uh, a reminder to our listeners about the the new look to the website. A little bit of we moved things around a little bit there, and you should be able to see if if you've got a fast enough internet connection, you should be able to see us in a video window there. There's one video window on the left side. That's us live right now. The video window that's on the right is a YouTube recording that, that we've had up there for well, some time. If you're time. watching that, you can't hear us tell you not yeah, to watch that's that. That's right. But uh, don't get confused. There's two different windows there. You want to click on, you want to hit the play button on the one, uh, on the left hand side of your screen. You should be able to see us right in that window. If you got a slow internet connection, you'd be better off to click the button above that, which says just listen. And we have some people doing that tonight. We're yeah. glad that you're listening on the audio feed. And you and and as you said last week, Jacob, that may be more comforting to the stomach to just listen rather than watch. We don't know. We'll that's, leave that to your discretion. That's a possibility, yeah. And we're still taking feedback on that new video system. If you like it or don't like it, uh, if, you, if you feel strongly one way or the other, uh, send us a, a message and let us know. Give us a little feedback on that new video window. And if you found us uh, from some avenue related to that new video feed, you might let us know that that's, you've stumbled across us in that uh, area. We're looking forward to hearing from you as well. And the, and we remind you of the disclaimer we've got there, too. That's a commercial service, and so they're throwing some ads up. Uh, and I think you can close those down so that the ads don't keep popping up. If there's an ad across the bottom of your screen there and you don't like to see that, you can, I think you can close that off. But we're not the uh, originators of any of that commercial advertising, so that's just a part of the service that we're using that, that's going to be there. All right, earlier today to our update list, <clears throat> we always remind you how this update list works. Usually sometime just afternoon, we send out an email message to all the people who are on our list and we tell you what our topic, our planned topic for discussion is, and we ask you some questions to start getting your feedback. If you're not getting those updates, uh, you can be on our list by sending us a simple message to questions at collegeview.com. Put in the subject line, add me to your list. Now, I think, Jacob, I've also picked up on the fact that some of those messages may be getting filtered out and people's spam filters may be catching some of those. If you're not getting our messages but you... Maybe you used to or, or you've requested it and you're not getting it. You might check your spam filter uh, uh, some, uh, or, and you might look in your, in your uh, 
uh, spam folder to see if we're going there. Uh, some people have reported that our messages are getting diverted into there, so you might check on that if you're not getting our messages in your regular inbox. Earlier today, here's what we suggested as a topic. We suggested the topic of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's a Bible subject. That's something we need about that. And the Spirit. And the third question, what are the practical implications of the Spirit dwelling in Christians? So let me repeat those. Yeah, you repeat those because your sound, uh, I killed you on your sound. Go ahead. Now we're out. We're getting sound back out oh, on yeah. our, on you're, our you're, video you're feed. You are live. You're okay. Alive. All right. Let's, let's give those three questions again. Uh, again, we're talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We want you to tell us, and, and you need to be brief because I think you could write a very lengthy essay on this, but as briefly as possible, tell us how you understand that the Holy Spirit indwells. How does he do it? Emphasis on how the Spirit indwells the Christian. Number two, what are some common misunderstandings that people have about the indwelling of the Spirit? And number three, what are the practical implications of the Spirit dwelling in Christians? Those are the questions we want to deal with tonight. It is an important Bible subject, and uh, an audio again. You got it back. Okay, quit playing with that. <laughs> well, I'm not trying to play with. I'm I'm trying to keep you going. Okay, All right. you're 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 ready now. The, the the first thing that we want to emphasize is the Bible definitely teaches that the Holy Spirit dwells in the Christian. There's just no doubt about that. The Bible very plainly tells us that the Spirit dwells in us. Let's look at some passages. I I believe in the I believe in the indwelling of the Spirit. I don't only believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the indwelling of the Father and the indwelling of the Son. If we didn't believe that, uh, we couldn't say that we were believing what the Bible teaches. The Bible plainly tells us that. For instance, let's start with the Father. The, the Scripture tells us that the Father dwells in us and we dwell in him. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. It says, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Notice, God, the Father, has said, I will dwell in them, in his people. So the Father dwells in us. But notice, and I think this is something we we want to emphasize, because it may help us get a better handle on what this indwelling thing is or what it means to be in the Father and the Father in us. First John chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So notice it goes both ways there concerning the Father. The Father dwells in us, and we dwell in the Father. Now, again, what I want us to do is sort of factor that into our understanding about indwelling. I think some people want this to be a sort of a mysterious thing, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. But as you're trying to get a handle on this total picture, notice it says the Father dwells in us too, but we dwell in the Father, all right? Now, I think there's eight times, if I've counted right, where it says the Father is in us. As Christians, the Father dwells in us. We also read that Jesus, the Son, dwells in us. Colossians, two, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Did you notice that expression, Christ in you? Jesus Christ is in us as uh, if we are Christians serving the Lord. So Christ is in us. But notice again, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So we would we would see the same thing about the, the son that we see concerning the father. The son is in us. And we are in him. And that's even, those expressions are used even more often. 16 times, if I counted right, Jesus is said to be in us. So before we go now, the next step is to talk about the spirit dwelling in us. But before we go to that step, Jacob, let's emphasize the scripture says God dwells in us. The scripture says Jesus dwells in us. But it also says that we are in them. We are in the father. We are in the son. So we got whatever understanding we have of this subject, we've got to take those things into consideration. Usually we talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and nobody even talks about the indwelling of the Father, the indwelling of the Son. But the Scriptures teach that. So you would, it would only stand to reason then that the method or the uh, the way that it is accomplished would be similar. Whatever whatever way the Father dwells in us or the Son dwells in us, you would think would then also be the way that the Spirit dwells in us. So let's keep all that working together as we as we approach this. Uh, Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. There's no doubt about that. Romans 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Notice, he dwells in us. His The spirit dwelleth in you. Romans 8, verse 11. Therefore, that being the case, anybody who says that they don't believe that the spirit dwells in us would be denying a plain Bible statement there. We have to accept that as being reality. But I want to emphasize one more time. The spirit dwells in us. We dwell in the spirit. Galatians 5, 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we are in the spirit. He is in us. We are in him. And I think this is kind of interesting, Jacob. If I counted right again, the spirit is said to be in us only six times. That's the least. More Eight times it says the Father dwells in us. Sixteen times it says Jesus dwells in us. And just six times it says the Spirit dwells in us. So, again, that's the point of controversy. Typically, the controversy centers over the idea of the Spirit dwelling in us. And, that, and you almost never hear anybody talking about the Father and the Son dwelling in us. And yet they're mentioned more often than the Spirit. I, I don't really understand that. All three dwell in us, and we dwell in all three of them, and that's what the Bible says. And that just that I, I think the, that it would be foolish to deny it. You'd be denying plain Bible statements if you said otherwise. The big question, though, is the question we ask at the outset, and we're asking for your feedback. If you haven't sent us an, uh, an email or, uh, or if you'd like to get in on the phone calls, uh, call us now because we're asking – to, for explanations, as brief as you can possibly do so, give us your explanation of the under, of your understanding of the indwelling of the Spirit with emphasis on how he indwells. That's what we're looking for. We believe in it. We believe the Spirit dwells in us. Absolutely no doubt about that. But the question is how, and that's the question we want to get to. Jacob, let's, let's take a break before we start diving into that. All right. Remember the three questions that we have proposed for you, and you can ask any of your questions as well. Explain as briefly as possible your understanding of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit with emphasis on how he indwells. 
Number two, what are some common misunderstandings people have about the indwelling of the Spirit? And number three, what are the practical implications of the Spirit dwelling in Christians? Those are your three questions that we've posed. If you're not creative enough to come up with your own questions, or we'll take your questions as well at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. Wow, this internet thing is really growing. And what could be better than using the internet for Bible study? I guess that's what they were thinking when they dreamed up the virtual Bible study. Good idea, don't you think? Hi, my name is Mike Holt. My wife and I, we love listening to the virtual Bible study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And welcome back to the program tonight. We're glad you're a part of it on the virtual Bible study. We want to hear the from virtual you. Bible study continues. And welcome back to the program tonight. We're glad you're that. a part right there, and we want to hear from you on the program. We're having a few problems tonight. Yeah. But, that was uh, playing a recording back to us. Yes, it was. Okay. So, All right. So we're okay now. We okay. are. We are, and we're talking about the indwelling of the Spirit. We want to hear from you. Okay. We've talked about the, the first points we're trying to establish is that there's no denying the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's no denying the indwelling of the God, of God the Father and, and Jesus Christ, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three dwell in us. But also, we dwell in them. Don't forget that, because you've got to factor that into your explanation of indwelling. They dwell in us, but we also dwell in them. And, and whatever understanding of indwelling is, that's got to be factored in as we go along in our study tonight. Let's talk about how the Spirit indwells us. Jacob, the first thing that we would stress is that it is not miraculous. The, and, and I hope that everybody, we've talked about miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit in the past. And I hope everybody understands that when we talk about the indwelling, the indwelling question tonight, we're not talking about any miraculous manifestations of the Spirit because we believe that miraculous manifestations of the Spirit have ended, and the Scriptures teach us that. Certainly so. Uh, we're not uh, now. There'd be some people who would disagree with you on that. Yeah, there there were there are people who believe that miracles of the Holy Spirit are still being performed, but in the past, as we have studied that, we have sort of three lines of reasoning that lead us to the firm conclusion that there are no miracles in the world today. One of them is that. The, the need for miracles no longer exists because we have the completed word of God. 
The second is that the means of receiving those gifts is no longer available to us. They were only ever distributed by means of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or by the laying on of the apostles' hands, and neither of those means is available to us any longer. And thirdly, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 8, plainly teaches the end of the miraculous age. And so for all those reasons, we, won't, we don't need to go into great detail today. We've, we, we've talked about this in the past on the virtual Bible study. We simply believe that there are no miracles happening in the world today. God's still active. God still works in the world today, but he doesn't do it in supernatural, miraculous ways. So this indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not a miraculous thing. I hope we all agree about that. Secondly, I think that we have to use some kind of descriptive, Jacob, and I don't know that I've got a good handle on what the best description here would be. This indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not... It's, it's not that, that somehow the spirit actually occupies our physical body, that, there, that there's some um, literalness of, of this indwelling, that he is actually literally somehow inside of us. Uh, now, aren't there some groups that would think that he does dwell in us in such a way that it's impossible for us to sin, that he over, overrides our... Well, I, I, think that, I think some people believe that he does some sort of... Uh, guiding or leading from with inside of us. Uh, we got to talk about that, see how he guides us, leads us. But what we're saying here is I, I don't think that the Spirit of God has some, li- that, that he takes up literal occupancy within my body. Uh, uh, that, that's, that's what I mean. I don't know maybe the best. Some people have called it a personal indwelling. And if they mean by personal indwelling that the Spirit of God literally takes up residence inside my physical body. I don't think the Bible teaches that. If that was so, then we would also have to physically or literally dwell within him and within the son and within the father. So uh, this is this is the point of this is the point I've heard a lot of discussion about and I think some good honest Bible students have had disagreements about this. But I don't think that that when we read this idea of being in him and him in us, it's saying that there's some literalness of that, that he actually takes up residency within our body. I, I don't believe the Bible, Bible is teaching that about the indwelling of the Spirit. Um, if you do, 877-381-4567 is the number to call. Questions at collegeu.com. Let us know how you understand the subject tonight. Uh now, as you said, Jacob, some people would have the idea that he gives us some guiding or, or s- somehow there's a, some way that he directs our steps by, by virtue of him being in us that he actually is. Uh, again, I got, I, I've got to pick my words carefully because I, uh, we, we don't want to deny the indwelling. We believe in the indwelling, but I, I don't see how he dwells in us and leads us separate and apart from the leadership that we get from the word of God, which the Holy Spirit inspired. Um, we, we know that the, the spirit, there's a whole list of things that the Holy Spirit does. We, we could read that list. You've, you've, some of you may have seen it published before. You can go through the New Testament and, and see where the spirit I'll just read some words that are attested to the Spirit of God. He testifies, he saves, he gives faith, he teaches that he's involved in the new birth. 
He gives power, he reproves, he leads, he comforts, he justifies, he dwells, he witnesses, he sanctifies, he cleanses. There's all, all of those words that I just used. There are verses that say the Spirit does those things. But what's really interesting, and some of you may have seen this parallel listing, uh, you can find Bible verses that says the Word does all those things as well. Everything that the Bible says the Spirit does, there are parallel verses that say that the word of God does those things. And so I don't think that the spirit of God does anything different than what the Bible says he does through the word. I think he, he, I think the tool he uses to accomplish his work in us is the word of God. Uh, he does his work through the word. That's not to say he's not working, but he does his work through the word. Here's, here's a way that I've explained it in the past. Uh, how does the spirit dwell in me and how does how does that work? The the illustration I've used several times is that let's say I'm in the store. I say I'm in the Walmart store and there's some little item there, some little trinket that intrigues me. And I pick it up and I look at it and I have the idea that I could just slip this thing in my pocket and walk right out of the Walmart store without ever being detected. People do it every day. Uh, we've We've read the statistics about how much stuff Walmart loses by shoplifting every day, every year. I think I could do it. I think I could get out of there. I think I could put this little electronic thing or whatever it is. I just slip it in my coat pocket and walk right out the door, never be detected, uh, never be found out, never be penalized. But it occurs to me as as this temptation presents itself, it occurs to me that the scripture says in Ephesians 4 verse 28, let him that stole steal no more. So I'm, I'm because I have read the word and incorporated it into my mind and into my thinking processes, the knowledge of what the spirit has revealed concerning the will of God is in me. And so I know I can't do that. Although I think I might could get out the door without being detected. I know it's wrong to do it. I can't steal that thing. I put it back on the shelf. And I believe that may be an oversimplified example, but that's an example of how the spirit of God dwells in me. The Spirit has revealed the will and word of God, and and it's made it so that I can read and understand and incorporate that will and word of God into my heart, into my thinking. And in that way, then the Spirit is directing me to live the way that I should. But it's not, it's not mysterious or better felt than told. It's not miraculous, clearly not miraculous. There is no, I, I don't believe that there's any guidance from the Spirit that is separate from the work that he has done, the, the, the vital, essential, absolutely critical work that the Spirit has done in revealing the Word of God. So what you would say would echo what we read in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are, also, you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. This is what you're saying, that that word dwells in you by your reading, under your praying for wisdom and your understanding of, of the word. That's right. And that's why studying the word is so important, because uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that this is the way that, that we know the mind of God, because through his spirit, he has revealed himself to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 beginning, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. 
But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Notice we have received the Spirit of God. It says in verse 11, uh, verse, t- verse 12, rather, this is 1 Corinthians, 12, or 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, uh, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. We have received the Spirit which is of God. We've received it. It's in us. But notice in the very same text, it talks about the words that the Spirit teaches. So the Spirit, we've received the Spirit of God, but what we have, the way He has accomplished that is by words, which we learn and incorporate into ourselves. And so I believe that the guidance of the Spirit is through the Word of God. It's not separate from the Word of God, it's not different from what we read in the Word of God. The Word of God is all sufficient. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Notice, it's, it's everything that we need. If we're saying that we need some, some extra biblical guidance from the Spirit, then we're saying this, the, the scriptures is not enough to guide us. But the Bible says it is enough to guide us. So I, I think we have to say that the Spirit's indwelling is not miraculous, but also it is not separate and apart from the Word. It, it, there's not some sense in which the Spirit takes up residence in me and and He gives me messages and guidance, tells me do this, don't do that, different than or or in some way other than through the, the inspired Word of God. I don't. I if so, don't, we don't have any any record of how He the, would do that. There's no explanation of it. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. You may disagree with what has been said so far. If you do, why not give us a call or send us an email. Be ready to go. When we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to get this week's bullet point, and we'll hopefully be taking your comments. And then we want to try to understand this indwelling thing, why that kind of terminology is used and what it means. Okay, get into it some more. Get ready to give us your comments on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Let me state some realities for you. I believe these things could be said about any local congregation anywhere in the world. First, the church is not as evangelistic as it ought to be. Secondly, we don't do enough to support the weak and to encourage those who are struggling with hardships in their lives. Third, the church isn't as friendly as it could be. There isn't as much close association among the members as there ought to be. Fourth, the Bible classes could be improved. The subject matter is sometimes lacking, and the teachers are sometimes unprepared. Fifth, we aren't doing enough benevolence. We're too slow to step forward when legitimate needs are put before us. Now, that's just a sampling. You can, no doubt, think of other things to expand the list. Our point, however, is this. What are you doing about these deficiencies? There are two types of members in the church, and they have opposite reactions to the kind of problems we have listed here. There are some that are dedicated to serving in the kingdom. When they see areas that need attention, they jump to the work. When there are lost people that need to be taught, weak brethren to be encouraged, sick people to be visited, these folks don't wait to be told. They are busy working to address such needs. 
For example, instead of complaining that the church is unfriendly, they're doing their best to change that reputation by inviting people into their homes and by actively showing their love and concern for others. They get involved in bringing about needed changes. In short, these are the ones who love the church and want to see it grow. Sadly, there are others who only intend to complain. They are never happy and are constantly finding fault. Such members see none of the good in the congregation. They gripe and grouse and do nothing positive. Their contribution to the church is to tear it down, not build it up. Now our question is, which of these two descriptions fits you? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Roger Toomes, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We are ready to take your calls or your emails about the indwelling of the Spirit. And, Dad, this was your idea to talk about this tonight, so you're going to be in the hot seat when the phone rings. Okay. Well, and so yeah. we're, we, want to put the, we want to put some heat underneath that seat, so give us a call, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Let us know what you think. All right, let's see. Let's see if we can get a handle on what this terminology of indwelling—one person being in another, and that person being in in the no, no, two people—they are in one another. What does that mean? I actually think, Jacob, that this is terminology that de- denotes a real close relationship, a close fellowship between two individuals, and it's not a, that uncommon for us to talk that way. For instance. Sometimes you hear people refer to a, a, a parent-child relationship. For instance, someone might say about you, Jacob. I, hope, I don't know if this is good or bad, but they might say, "I can see, I can see his dad in him." Uh, you know, what's that mean? That a son, a father, is in the son. Well, that just simply suggests that they have a close relationship and the, and the, that they think alike and they act alike. That's not unusual terminology. Or sometimes, Jacob, we might talk about two people who are in love. Uh, here's this boy and girl, and they're just really in love. And they the, the, the terminology might be used that they have one another in their heart. This boy loves that girl. She's in his heart. He's in her heart. Well, that wouldn't be unusual terminology, and we would we would take it to mean that they just have a very close relationship. They, they, they feel as though they are one. Uh, sometimes we would talk about a teacher and a student, teacher-student relationship. And the student has been learning at the feet of this teacher. And someone might say about the student, well, that teacher is, the teacher is in him. He's, he's the product of his teacher's work and that teacher is in him. In other words, he thinks like the teacher who taught him. Uh, sometimes we, we hear of national leaders, a president or, or some high official in, in a country, and we say that that leader has, possesses the hearts of his people. Again, none of those things suggest literal residency within the other. It simply denotes close harmony of thinking and feeling between individuals. And some of you who are listening might think of some other uh, examples of that, but what we're saying is that terminology of two people that are one's in the other, one's in that one and he's in the other is simply an expression of closeness, of, of, of harmony, of, of mutual feeling. They think alike. They act alike. That's what we mean when we use that kind of terminology. And it's not that unusual of terminology. 
In fact, that's the way the Bible, Jacob, talks about the Father and the Son. Look at John 17, verse 20, beginning John 17, verse 20. Jesus was praying just before he was arrested and ultimately crucified. But he said, neither pray I for these alone. He'd been praying for the apostles. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Notice, he was praying that all disciples would be as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. Jesus said the Father was in him, and he was in the Father. Well, they're not literally the same person, but they were absolutely in a perfect harmony with one another. There was absolute unity between the two of them. They thought alike, and all their actions were in complete agreement with one another. And so Jesus said, Father, you are in me, and I am in you. And he was describing that close relationship, that close fellowship between them, that had complete harmony and unity. So he could have said, I dwell in you, you dwell in me. Well, yeah. Basically what he said. He's, well, he, that's what he did say. He didn't use the word dwell, but he said, you're in me and I'm in you. Yeah. So that, that that's – and that, that would be the, a case of ultimate indwelling. They were perfectly united in every possible way. Yeah. And so Jesus said – I'm in the Father, the Father is in me. We see we see then what he meant by using that terminology. They're in harmony. They're in harmony. Now, I believe that that's what we need to understand the indwelling of the Godhead to be in us and us in them. Remember, we already said the Father's in us, we're in the Father. The Son is us, Son is in us, we are in the Son. The Spirit is in us, we are in the Spirit. All three beings of the Godhead are said to be in us and we are said to be in them if we are faithful Christians. And I believe it is an expression talking about close relationship, a tight bond of fellowship, uh, uh, thinking alike and acting in agreement and harmony with one another. One more passage along that line. Notice John 15, beginning verse 4. Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. Notice how over and over again in that short short passage, two verses, Jesus said, I'm in you, you're in me. What was he talking about there? He was talking about being in unity and harmony with Jesus. And he says, really, religiously, that's the only way that we can bear fruit. That's the only way that our, that our efforts uh, are going to be productive. If we are in him and he is in us, if we are in unity and if we have that close relationship with one another. Could you take the word abide out and put the word dwell in its place? I think so. Dwell in me and I in you uh, would be, I think, a very synonymous expression. So we're to dwell in Christ. He is to dwell in us. We're dwell in him and he in us. So, again, I believe that what that terminology is describing is that close uh, fellowship between two individuals. Uh, and again, you think alike, you act alike, you have the same goals, you're in complete harmony with one another. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com are the ways you join in on this discussion tonight with your comments or questions. Uh, Jacob, this, this indwelling of the Godhead results from us learning the truth 
and being obedient to it. We learn the truth through the word, through the inspired word that the spirit gave. We learn what God wants us to do. And when we're obedient to it, this indwelling that we've been talking about takes place. Notice, notice Ephesians 3.17. This, I think this is a real important verse. And for all who are listening, I, I would suggest that you uh, maybe underline this in your Bible. Notice Colossians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Whoa, stop right there. This is Christ dwelling in us. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. Boy, that, that, that's got to be important, right? It goes on to tell how. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love and so on the passage goes. It tells us how Christ dwells in us. He dwells in us by faith. Romans ten seventeen says faith comes by hearing. So as we hear the word of God and that, and that word of God produces faith in our hearts, Christ dwells in us by faith. That's how the indwelling takes place. And and you see, again, it tied back to the word because faith is produced by the word. That ties back to the spirit because the spirit gave the word. It's all interrelated. It's not mysterious. It's not unexplainable. It's not better felt than told. It's not separate and apart from the word. It is accomplished through the word. All right. So you would say then by faith, then we live in a fashion that is in harmonious or is in harmony with Christ. That's right. We think like Christ thinks we do the things that he did. Uh, in other words, there's there's perfect unity between us. And of course, that's our goal, that there be perfect unity between us. And and that in, when it, when that occurs, then he's in us and we're in him. Our phone line is open, 877-381-4567. Our email is ready for you. Questions at collegeview.com. Let us know what you think about what we've said so far. Dave, I might go up to the blackboard again. Like, oh, here we go. Like All we right. Did last week. Okay. Are we, do you have? You got me a spit. Got me a mic. No, you're on your own. Yeah, give me that Hold on a second. Here. Oh, number five. Okay. You're 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 hot now. Okay. I want. There, there's two passages that I want us to really emphasize because I think they're keys to this story. One is Ephesians chapter five, verses eighteen and nineteen, and the other. Is that we that we're going to look at is Colossians three sixteen. Now this Ephesians five eighteen and nineteen, it tells us to be filled with the Spirit. Notice we are to be filled with the Spirit. It's what Ephesians five eighteen nineteen it says: Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I would I would emphasize right here when it says be filled with the Spirit, that's a command. In other words, if that happens, it happens because of something I do. It's not that the Spirit just mysteriously or miraculously. Oh, you're saying because it's a command for you to do it. I'm supposed to do that. Okay. I, it, it's commanded of me. Uh, anybody who believes that it, there's some kind of mysterious action of the Holy Spirit separate and apart from the Word. Uh, that's not what this is saying. This is saying that I'm filled by the Spirit. This is something that I do. Uh, I've, got to, I've got to make that happen. Uh, now, literally, I understand that, that this, this expression, be filled, in the Greek, literally means keep on being filled with the Spirit. If you were to translate that literally, it would be keep on being filled with the Spirit. And so, not only is it a command that I'm supposed to fulfill, but it's also something that should 
result in more and more of this filling process. More and more of the Spirit should dwell in me. I should keep on being filled with the Spirit. Now, what's so interesting? It's, it's not a. It's not just a. It's not a on or off kind of thing. It's not a. A binary. It's not. Yeah, it's not either. Yes, it is, or no, it's not. It it can be more and more. Okay. Filled with the Spirit. Okay. Now, again, that's one passage here, Ephesians five eighteen and nineteen. The other one that we want to parallel to this, and a lot of people, and a lot of commentators see a a real parallel between the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians. All right. And I believe these are parallel statements. Notice the similarity. Let me read Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 again. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, now I want to read Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. They sound almost identical. But where Ephesians five eighteen says we're to be filled with the Spirit, Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. So notice here, the emphasis was on the spirit, but here it uses the word. Let the word dwell in you. We're to be filled with the spirit. Ephesians 5.18.19 says, Colossians 3.16 says that we are to let the word dwell in us. And so that's got to be significant, I believe, that in what are clearly parallel passages, they're worded almost identically, but the difference in them, Ephesians 5, 18, 19 says, be filled with the Spirit. Colossians 3, 16 says, let the Word dwell in you. So how am I filled with the Spirit? As I study the Word, as I learn it more and more, Again, emphasis on more and more. This is something I can do. I can study that word. I'm commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And so I fulfill the command as I study the word. And I can study that more and more. I can get more and more knowledge of the word in me. Uh, As you said earlier, praying for the wisdom of God to enact that in my life. And so I believe as the word, as I incorporate that word into my thought processes, as it becomes more and more a part of my life, then the Spirit of God dwells in me. Are you? You ought to sing us a song while you stand up there with that microphone. It looks like you're ready to sing us a solo. I'm not going to. Well, okay, but that no that that uh, that helps to understand uh, the language and the terminology uh, when you when you put it that way. That uh, we see the parallel between the Spirit and the Word, and uh, yeah, as you said there, the idea of being filled with the Spirit and and it being a command and something that uh, can grow in us that lines up with our study of the word and the command to let the word dwell in us. You know, Dad, the the, the same question and the same, uh, you know, what we ha- we have to ask the same question: How does the word itself dwell in us? I mean, is it actually is the are the word is the Bible in our heart? I mean, literally, or is it a, an expression of how we harmonize with the Bible? It's, it's, it's got to be an expression of the word. Dwells in us as we learn it and we incorporate it into our lives. Let us know your thoughts. One last break and we go to the top of the hour. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? 
Well, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd, but don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find that it's easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College of Church of Christ. Computers are good for lots of things, but there's no better way you could be using yours than to participate in the virtual Bible study every Thursday night. Can you think of a better use of your time? My name is Steve Novorak, reminding you to listen to the virtual Bible study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the program tonight. If you're watching live, you're seeing a once-in-a-lifetime event. Uh, you're not going to sing us a song, but you're going to draw us a picture, so that's great. Uh, we've got some uh, visual aids on the screen for you there, and uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. But we'd like to hear from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. If you would just like to be an art critic, you can call in and let us know what you think about uh, the graphics on the board tonight. Uh, you want to explain your picture to us? Well, I think maybe this is a way that we can illustrate what we're talking about, the Spirit doing his work through the Word of God. If you were, well, that is really a crude picture, Jacob. It's even worse sitting down from down here as it was when I stand up there drawing it. If you allow my stick figure there to represent a man with an axe and he's splitting a log, so here's a man, he's got an axe in his hand, he's splitting a log. You could say that the man split the log. That would be true. You could also say the axe split the log because that's actually what strikes the log and what breaks it in two. So you could say the axe split the log. Or if you wanted to be complete in expressing it, you could say the man split the log with the axe. Okay. All right. Now, from Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, and Colossians three sixteen that we were just discussing, we could think of it this way. The Spirit dwells in us. The Word, so statement one, the Spirit dwells in us. Statement two, the Word of God dwells in us. Mm-hmm. Now, both those are true statements. Okay. And so if you put it together, the Spirit of God dwells in us through the word. I believe that's the explanation to this whole idea of the spirit dwelling in us. That and again it's simply an expression that uh, denotes closeness, oneness, complete harmony. We think alike, we act alike, we work to the same goals, just like the father is in the son, the son is the spirit. They're the perfect picture of harmony. And I believe that we we can strive to that harmony too and it'll be described as a oneness or an are being in the Spirit and the Spirit in us. All right, 877-381-4567. You have some thoughts on this. Surely give us a call or send us an email. We have some emails that we need to get to, and uh, we'll talk about uh, what uh, you believe. All right, real quickly, uh, let's go to uh, Skip from Indiana who says, it is possible that the term indwelling could be another way of simply describing fellowship with God. In Jesus' prayer in John 17, 21, Jesus speaks of you and me and I and you and that he wanted believers to be one in us. That to me does not speak of some literal indwelling of persons, but does show the closeness, the oneness of the relationship. All right. That echoes what you how you explained it earlier. Right. Then we've got Randy in Missouri who says, at the moment we are saved, God's Holy Spirit comes to reside in us forever 
He communicates with our spirit. See Romans eight sixteen. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Romans eight sixteen says that. He, he, that's almost verbatim. It says the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I think that would be, the again, the idea of harmonizing. We can right. look at, at what the Word teaches, and we can line that up with our spirit. How, do, our how does the Spirit bear witness that I am the child? How would I know I'm a child of God? Is it, is it something that the Spirit whispers in my ear? No, I believe the Spirit gives testimony to that right here in the Word. I can, I can know that I'm a child of God because the Spirit has revealed what it takes to become a child of God. And so when I comply with the things that the Spirit has taught me through the Word, then I can know, and his spirit, the spirit of God testifies, and my spirit in agreement with that says I'm a child of God. We might say that a ruler bears witness that this piece of paper is eight and a half inches wide. Right. It does that when we lay the paper next to the ruler, and then it bears witness that this is eight and a half inch, inches wide. I think that's exactly right. Um, uh, we got one. We got a, a, an email from our friend Aaron. Aaron hadn't heard from Aaron in a while. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study tonight, Aaron. He says, first, I agree that however the spirit acts upon the Christian, it does not enable us to perform any miraculous deeds today. And I'll be honest that I don't understand exactly how the spirit does what he does. But I do not think I'm convinced that the word is the only mechanism through which the spirit acts. I think we spend too much time talking about the indwelling when the Bible more often uses the terminology that the spirit is given or something similar. So if you want to talk about what it means for the spirit or God or the son to dwell in us, that's fine. I probably don't disagree, but. The same explanation doesn't explain passages that talk about the Spirit being given in a way that clearly has a broader application than the miraculous. I, I agree with Aaron that the, the, that terminology is used, and we haven't really dwelt on uh, talked about passages that, that use that descriptive. But again, I would argue that whatever that means, the Spirit being given to us, and I know the Bible says that he that it is the Spirit is given to us, I, I cannot agree that that therefore results in something that the Spirit does for me that's not explained in the Word, the, that, that somehow the Spirit is working extra biblically, because that then would not be uh, in agreement with the idea that the Word is all-sufficient in, in its guiding of my life. Uh, he goes on to say, I don't disagree that the Spirit works through the Word, but I can't agree that he does so only through the Word. Uh, let me see here. I'm, I messed up my scan here. Here, here we go. Um, you understand the difference being salvation by faith and salvation by faith only. So I know you recognize the difference between saying that the Spirit works through the Word and saying that the Spirit works through the Word only. Uh, and, and my problem is that the Bible doesn't say through the Word only, and there are just too many passages that seem to refer directly to the Spirit, not to what the Spirit does or did in the case of inspiring the Word. When Luke eleven thirteen says that God will give the Spirit to those who ask, he isn't saying that God will give something that the Spirit did. He said that God would give the Holy Spirit. Likewise, Ephesians three sixteen, Paul says he hoped the Ephesians would be strengthened with his might by the Spirit in the inner man, not something the Spirit inspired, but through his Spirit in the inner man. Well, now I believe that Ephesians three sixteen is describing how my inner man is strengthened through the, the, the work of the Spirit, and that work being through the Word. He goes on, not not through something the Spirit inspired, but through the Spirit in the inner man. Ephesians 1.14, Paul speaks of the Spirit uh, who is the guarantee, literally, down payment of our inheritance. It is not the Word, but the Spirit who is given as a down payment. Uh, those passages don't talk about dwelling, but about giving or something sim- some similar idea. So that's why I don't think that we should simply focus on what it means to dwell. If I told my kids that I was going to give them $10 and instead gave them something that I did with the $10, 
uh, buying a set of pruning shears so they can help with the flower bed, for example, they would not they would understand that isn't the same thing. And then he gives some other examples. Uh, uh, Titus three five and six, Acts five thirty two, First John four thirteen, where it says, for instance, He has given us of His Spirit. John seven verses verse thirty eight and following, the Spirit whom those believing in Him would receive. So Aaron disagreeing somewhat with our conclusion. He says he doesn't disagree that the Spirit works through the Word, but he does. He can't agree that the Spirit only works through the Word. My my. My follow-up challenge, Aaron, would be describe that for me then. Uh, We need to know how that happens so that we can identify it, put a handle on it. If it's, if it's happening, it has to be, it has to be quantifiable. There must be something, some, some way in which I know it. I I know how the Spirit works through the Word. And I tried to give an example earlier of of that uh, possible temptation in the Walmart store of stealing some item. And how the Spirit keeps me from stealing that item because I remember what he told me about uh, not stealing in the Word. But my challenge to Aaron would be if the Spirit is doing something other than what he does through the Word, what is it? How does it work? And where do I read about it? I believe the Spirit's given to us. I believe the Spirit dwells in us. But I believe he does it in the way that we've described tonight. Uh, it, it needs to be some way that we can understand because it was given as a promise and a comfort and an assurance to those who are who are saved that you will have the Spirit. And it, so it can't be if that, that that promise doesn't do anything to comfort me if I can't understand how that how that occurs. I agree. I, it, it's got to be. It, it can't be just some mysterious, unexplainable uh, giving of the Spirit when God gives us the Spirit. I believe, and I really believe those things go together. God gives His Spirit to those who are obedient. The Spirit dwells in us. There, there's got to be some way to understand that. It. it can't be a. It can't be. Where's the? As you said, Jay, where's the comfort in that if we don't have an explanation of what it means or how it works? Um, Skip and says, not, not to say that we've explained it the only way that it could be explained or that we've explained it exactly right. That just the, that that's that seems to be the requirement there. If it's a promise, then we ought to be able to understand. The fulfillment of it. Yeah. And and I'm not saying that I've got a perfect handle on it. I think it's a difficult subject, but I believe we have enough insight to know somewhat of how it works. Uh, Skip says, I believe most misunderstandings about the work of the Holy Spirit, especially among uh, denominationalists, arises from Calvinism, which teaches that man, due to being utterly depraved, is incapable of responding to God, so the Spirit must do a work within him apart from the Word to prepare him. That is something that Calvin taught, and that may be why there's so much misunderstanding about the work of the Spirit. Randy says a misunderstanding about the indwelling of the Spirit is that the indwelling comes and goes. Um, oh, you got to get it on Sunday when in the service. No, know, I think I think what Randy is saying is that the Spirit. Randy says that. And I'm not sure I agree with this. I need to know a little more about Randy's thought on this. He says God's Holy Spirit comes to reside in us forever, and it doesn't come and go. It stays there. The Spirit of God comes uh, in us and stays with us. He, I think Randy is suggesting maybe it's like an on and off switch. It's either there or it's not, and he's saying it's always there. I'm saying that being filled with the Spirit is something that we can increase in. 
more and more, as Ephesians 5, 18, 19 says, this, we're filled with the Spirit more and more as we learn more and more about God. He, he may be referring, though, to some of the Pentecostal activities in their services where they get the Spirit and then they start rolling around on the Maybe floor. So. And then finally, Randy says, what are the practical implications of the Spirit? This is an important point. He says, because we are the residents of the Holy Spirit, or I would simply say because the Spirit is in us, we should not use our bodies as an instrument of sin. First Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20 do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. If we are the people of God and God is in us, Father, Son, and Spirit are in us, then we ought not to be using our bodies to engage in sinful activities. We ought to be glorifying God with our bodies. If, in fact, God dwells in us, we, we ought to act like it. In other words, we know what we're supposed to be doing and we'll be doing it. And for us to claim to be uh, gods and then live in a sinful fashion is not uh, is not to have God dwell in us. And we don't and we ought to think about that harmony, as you mentioned there, that uh, we can be in perfect harmony with God and with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit by living in a certain way. And we ought to want to have that harmony. What a wonderful blessing it would be to be in harmony with God. Uh, I see we're out of time. I, I just scrolled down. I see Aaron had some more thoughts, a question about the word. He says, if the benefit of the spirit is only through the word, then do some un, do some unsaved people have the spirit dwelling in them or given to them? For example, I have relatives who are members of various denominations. They don't drink or curse. They act charitably toward their fellow men. They exhibit many of the fruits of the spirit of Galatians five. And they do these things because of what the Bible says. Does the spirit dwell in them or was he given to them because the word has acted upon them? I don't believe so. The things said of the Spirit are clearly things that refer only to the saved. These people allow the Word to work in them in some aspects, but I would never say that God gave them the Spirit because that's reserved for the saved. Do you believe that the Spirit is dwelling in them because they are acting partially in accordance with the Word He inspired? It is because of the inspired Word that they behave as they do. This is one of the major reasons I believe that the Word-only theory is incomplete. I understand Aaron's statement or question there, and I'm not sure I have a good answer to that. We know that the word of God has permeated the world and that it is like the influence of salt and light. Jesus used those analogies in the Sermon on the Mount. We're to be salt and light in the world. We, we as the people of God, as we teach and promote the word of God, have an influence on the world that does direct them toward living in right ways. I don't believe that the spirit of God is in them. I don't believe that God has given his spirit to them, but I believe they have been influenced by the word. And I'm not I'm not trying to say that just being influenced by the word is the same as the spirit dwelling in us. They're not in harmony with that. Yet. They're not fully in harmony with the word. OK, but I, but I, 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 I'm not saying that I've given a, a completely satisfactory explanation to Aaron's question there. I think it's it's it, it certainly illustrates the, the fact that there is some some aspect of this that's hard to get a handle on. All right. Well, and, uh, you know, as with any virtual Bible study, and especially with tonight's virtual Bible study, the things that we've talked about tonight, uh, we are, are the way that we may understand them now, but we're certainly open to the comments and questions. And so if you disagree or have any thoughts about what we've said, we'd like to consider that with you further. Let us know via email or via the phone. Okay. Thank uh, thanks for those who listened and for your participation. You need to in the check and make sure thing. you don't have any other emails there that you're overlooking. We appreciate uh, you being a part of the program tonight. Dad, thank you for your time. You do have. Oh, well, we've got some. We've got some emails here. Uh, we didn't get to them. 
Well, our time is up. Aaron actually answered the challenge. Uh, he says, I can't say any more about how the spirit acts than what the Bible says. If God says he does something, he doesn't have to tell me how. That's the gist of his answer. We got an email from Harv who says the Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints. How can that be done through the word? He's referencing there, by the way, Romans eight twenty six. The spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's something the spirit does not toward me, but toward God. The Spirit makes intercession toward God. That's not talking about Him in me. You're not saying that this, the only thing that the Spirit does is through the Word. You're not. You haven't limited what He does through but, the Word. But, but Romans eight verse twenty six is not talking about what He does toward me. Okay, that's intercession He makes toward God on behalf of me. Okay. Uh, Brad Collins says. Part of the confusion, I think, comes from the Bible's occasional use of the phrase in or by the Spirit to describe a state in which someone is under the direct and miraculous influence of the Spirit. Uh, he says, uh, he gives a couple examples. He says, how do we, how do you prove when in and by the Spirit is a synonym for according to the Word and when it is under the direct miraculous influence of the Spirit? Oh, we're out of time. Too bad. We're out of time. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we understand that the Spirit is not acting miraculously today, as we said earlier. We, uh, sorry, Brad, we didn't get to discuss that thoroughly. All right. Well, we, have, uh, we may have created more questions than we answered tonight. If you have some questions you'd like to discuss it with us further, maybe you think that you could explain it to us further. We'd like to hear from you, 877-381-4567, anytime throughout the week, or questions at collegeu.com. Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you, Jacob. And thank you for being a part of the program. We hope you'll be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In any meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.